0: Amen. Would you take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 16. And as we have prayed and sung, we want to continue to glorify God. Turning to Romans 16, would you stand with me? And we'll read the closing paragraph of the epistle written by Paul as the Spirit of God led him to instruct the church that was at Rome about the power that is the gospel and how in that power, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. And in that theme of praise to God, we close the book with this doxology. Romans 16, 25, the word of the Lord says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen. You can be seated. I wonder if you would think with me about the order of worship. The order of saying that the God of heaven is worthy of being praised. In the order of that. I have become increasingly convinced as I've ministered the gospel vocationally for just over 20 years that real worship is the effect of something God already did. Cause and effect. God is the mover. He's the first causer. He acts and his creation reacts. God reveals his splendor to our heart and we adore him. That truth echoes in several places in scripture. One of them is in John 4. Jesus goes and meets a Samaritan woman at a well and she's wondering about the performance of worship. Where do you go? And he says, that's not the way it works. True worship, right worship, is in accord with spirit and truth. We praise, we sing what's been informed to our heart by the Spirit of God. James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 says every good and perfect gift, every blessing comes from him to us. Why? Is God infatuated? With creatures of the dirt. No. Every good perfect gift comes from God to us. Because the giver always gets the glory. Not the receiver. No one adores the receiver. You receive that gift so wonderfully. The giver always gets the glory. So every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father of light with whom there will not be any change. We've already seen this truth here in Romans. Romans 1.19 That God revealed the truth, namely, eternal power and a Godhead. But worship didn't follow. Creation saw in creation, the power of God and chose to worship created thing instead of creator. And in that horrific response, God gave them up. And the book of Romans that we've been studying is an explanation of how God interferes in the abomination of worship of sinners and draws in jealousy that worship to himself. The triune God decreed before creation that there would be a promise to redeem the undeserved, to redeem the rebel. All of history is, in fact, an account of that plan of redemption unfolding. That is simply what history is God revealing light where there is darkness, life where there is death, God moving and creation responding. All of creation is called to respond to the revelation of God. In fact, one of the wonders of being the church that we are right now as we sit in this fellowship is that we are appointed, assigned ambassadors of that light to speak the good news. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5: In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. It's true. There are accounts of places where the gospel is despised and made illegal, and yet God is drawing people there to himself. And in doing so, entrusting to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, listen closely, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God for our sake. God has made Christ to be sin. He knew no sin. But in that, we might become the righteousness of God. We stood here for four years walking verse by verse. And it has not been a simple task. You must have had moments where you thought, how much longer in Romans? And it's not been simple. But there was no part of it that we could gloss over. No part of it we could treat as too complicated to handle. In the end, we want to be those workmen who are not ashamed of the way we handled the word of truth. So for four years we've stood beholding an explanation of what started in Romans 1.16. This gospel is the power that saves. And in it, the rightness of our God is revealed. And my question right now, that's mover. What's our response? We'll step away from this letter and we'll move on to other wonderful portions of scripture. But how will we be affected by this revelation? I wonder if we will be more authentic and consistent worshipers because of what God has revealed to us. I wonder, pastorally, I wonder if we'll be harder to please. Really, I do. I want want you to be hard to please. I don't want trivial things to delight your soul. Having beheld this, Having seen the rightness of God verse after verse, I don't want trivial things to draw your affections into pointlessness. I wonder. I wonder if ours will be a branding of doxology, praising God from whom all blessings flow praising him, all of us creatures here below. Doxology. <clears throat> I believe we stand at a fork in the road a lot of times in life, and maybe right now as much as ever. And that fork looks like this. It's, it's a matter of perception, presupposition, okay? Okay. The fork in the road. Here we stand. One path is a trajectory of doxology. It is, it is to see your parenting, your bank account, your Bible reading, your marriage, your job. It is to see all those things in the context of of doxology. Praise God in this. Praise God in this. The other fork is uh, the best way I can describe it and the way it's had the most impact on my life is geocentric. Doxological or geocentric. Praise God in everything. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. Do it to the glory of God. That is a doxology context, pretext for everything you do. The other one is geocentric, Um, and there are some people who try to make a biblical case for that. Uh, God moves so that man will receive. God God moves because man needs. God does because we need. We have money because God wants us to have the pleasure of wealth. We have family because God doesn't want us to be alone. That's geocentric. That's the God is doing stuff so that you can be adored by him. And I I think often we stand at a fork in the road. And I think we do now. We close a study of an epistle. And I wonder if it's affected us in a way that says I Cannot be satisfied with lesser things like I maybe used to be. I'm not as vulnerable to delighting in the trivial. My eyes have beheld the King of Glory. So Paul ends the letter in a fitting doxology and does it in a way that's really great to study. It's actually a doxology that unfolds multiple high points of the entire letter. For example, starting off with to Him. That's Romans 1. The things of God could be plainly seen. Namely, He is awesome. Now, to Him. goes on and talks about to Him who's able to strengthen you. You get to Chapters 2, chapter 3, finally you get promise. Chapter 3, there is salvation for the weak. Paul deliberately echoes in these verses the themes that we have already studied. And so we'll spend time today seeing this doxology and being reminded of the revelation that produces praise. Paul's offering worship to the one who's worthy. Would you notice with me in... uh, our paragraph, 25 through 27, would you just notice the first time he tells the reader who it is he's praising? It's not until verse 27. To God this praise belongs. But to the student of Romans, we didn't come to this paragraph saying, oh, I wonder who we're praising. It's been made clear to us, right? There is one who's worthy of that praise. And so when we read right away, now to him who's able to strengthen you by this gospel I've been preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, through revelation, through the prophecies, to him be. And then he says, to the only wise God. So what I want to give us right now is two of the worshipful realities of this doxology the the, the two points one is as we look at who is able to strengthen us and how is he able to strengthen us that's what i want to see who is it It says to him who's able to strengthen you who and how be able to strengthen you by my all right those are the two points let's look at the first one in verse 25 let's consider together Who could strengthen us to live truly? My second point is going to be, how would he strengthen us to live truly? But I want you to notice two words, living truly. Do do you get caught in pondering the meaning of life ever? I think people talk about it or write about it, but I can't tell you that I sincerely relate. I don't think I've ever been late to a meeting because I was busy pondering the meaning of life. And I don't know if that's just because I think simply or if that's because I'm not wondering. I'm not curious about the meaning. I know the meaning of life. To live truly is to worship. To live truly is to worship. We were created in the garden to live truly. Which meant what? Worship. And sin interfered with meaningful living. And we began instantly dying. The word that we often refer to for worship is proskeneo. It means, uh, the most vivid word picture is to kiss toward. It's like this. It's like that, proskanao. It's a vivid word picture, right? Your kid's Get uncomfortable when mom and dad kiss toward each other. That's kind of that picture. Like smooches. The word proskoneo. To to bow toward. To put yourself on your face in front of and say everything else disappears in my confession of adoration of this thing. That's worship. The idea in this word proskoneo To him, to him, is to lay down our will, our desire, before God and worship. Worship is not an obligation. He is not a tyrant who insists on worship. He is a father who births worship in us. Worship is a delight and confession of superior worth above all else. Worship. <clears throat> the greatest command. Love God with all your affection, with all your understanding, with all your will. This is to Him. Now, let's look at a couple pictures. What does it mean that we have this one to whom belongs praise? Now, to Him. Toward him belongs this praise of this doxology. Well, one, one, of, one helpful picture is back in Exodus chapter 30. And there we have the worship that would happen in tabernacle, temple. In Exodus chapter 30, <clears throat> there was this fragrant incense that was to be burned, a candle-like, that was a sweet smell of worship to God. It was a beautiful odor. However, it was only to be used in the worship of God. Even though it could have been sold, even though it could have been marketed, it was not allowed for anything but the worship of God. The importance of that worship to a jealous God is made clear again in Exodus in chapter 20. I mentioned this morning as we opened our worship, With these moral commands. When it came time for God to give us instruction. Where did he start? Be nice to each other. No. Being nice to each other is the response to what he's going to say first. Well don't kill each other. No. Not the first instruction. Uh, Let me just say. Let me add to that a little caveat. Don't abort babies. Not the first. Don't practice homosexuality not the first. I want you to hear that I'm citing responses to the first and even second command. In Exodus 20, we are told this, have no other God before me and make no false image that you would bow down to. Everything else comes out of that. So we've seen here in Romans our place to do that. Now we've been, we've been, brought to life. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, now you are spiritual priests before God, so present even yourselves as living sacrifices. This is reasonable worship. The Godward direction of our praise is honestly... Um, sometimes we confuse it, I, I think. I referenced it a moment ago. The Godward direction of praise... The intention of blessing. God's blessing. Why? God blessing to show us just how much he thinks of us? I, I meant what I said before when I called us creatures of dirt. Don't forget where we came from. The closest claim to fame we have is that he breathed the breath of life into us. Other than that, it's just dirt. And I'm sorry, but it's headed back there. We came from it and we go back to it. Okay, so we sometimes do get confused because we see, oh, what amazing favor. For instance, we saw in Romans, God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. And if we're not careful, we could conclude that the means is the end. It's just the means to the end. I mean, just stringing together things Paul says God did not spare his own son but gave him up how will he not therefore richly bless us with all things that we might be to the praise of his glory that's the means to the end and, and sometimes we, we get stuck in the means God gave up Jesus for me and listen friends I don't, I'm not trying to be critical this, this would be unnecessary criticism I don't believe this happens anywhere in this room that any of you would say, well, if God gave up his son for me, how will he not richly bless me with everything? How would he keep anything back from me? And you would say, God must think more highly of me than he does of Jesus. None of you would say that. You would not say that. That would not be any spoken theology in this room. Even, even maybe we have some friends or neighbors here who are lost. They wouldn't even think that. But I wonder if we're susceptible to unknown applications that are actually a little bit like that. So not our spoken theology, but maybe the practicals, the lived. I mentioned from James, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. And this is so because the giver gets the glory. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says this, Knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that like all this redemption is good for you so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Like redemptive plan never ends with us escaping hell. It ends with God being praised. Our worship is dependent on God causing. It's his blessings, it's his revelation, it's his salvation from sin. God is the first causer. He has given us true living, worship living. Most of the solid catechisms that you read, the ones you're studying, sharing with your children, the ones we read, Most solid catechisms begin with instruction about the purpose of life being to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's sound understanding of the gospel. So, who is it to whom we worship, to whom we praise, who empowers us to live truly? It is God, restoring us again to the fellowship of the Garden to be free from futility, to be alive, to worship as a creature, worshiping creator and redeemer. True worship is according to spirit and truth. I shared with you a few weeks ago as we were coming through the Advent season, true worship, true fellowship, the presence of God is only afforded us in the tabernacle that is Jesus Christ. And now here, this morning, we have this corporate worship. And one of my favorite application passages for us right now, before we move into the second point, is Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, years ago I preached a sermon. You'll love this title. Uh, I was, I was, I might, oh oh, boy. First time I shared, I I might not have even been in my 20s. I might have still been a teenager in college. And I preached a sermon from Hebrews chapter 10 called The Lettuce of the New Covenant. That was a distracting title. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. There, what happens is in verse 24, 25, 26, there are three let us, let us, let us. So, being the clever guy that I am, I wrote a sermon entitled The Let Us of the New Covenant. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> and God is good to keep me mindful of it. How do I even remember that? Because God works to keep me humble and say, look at the stuff you do. <laughs> in verse 20 uh, I'm sorry in verse 22 the bible says let us draw near who is able god is able to strengthen us so let us draw close who is able god is able verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our faith i am here in this fellowship i am adopted not for my worth but his grace let us hold fast to that truth. Verse 24, let us think about each other. Our worship does not omit mindfulness of our fellow image bearer. Keep that in mind, please. Our worship of God does not omit mindfulness, thoughtfulness, preference of our fellow image bearer over ourselves. Who is able? That's how he starts god the author and perfecter of salvation the one who ransoms us from sin's bondage is able and he is faithful to do it it is god who is able to strengthen okay now let's move on to the second part because that's that's worshipful enough who can do this thing we are in bondage in the slavery of sin who can strengthen us to be delivered from it god how how and the dox, any good doxology accurately points credit where credit is due and says, by the gospel. Let's look at the second half of the verse. Able to strengthen you according to or by my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How would God strengthen us to live truly? By the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I'd go back again. I have to reference again Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God's salvation. In that, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Paul points to the gospel as the source of strength. And he doesn't vaguely refer to good news. He says it is the good news the preaching of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of Christ. Paul had said that his hope was to be with this church. Uh, if, you, if you, It would be helpful, actually, to take your uh, finger and place it in Romans 1. And as long as you're doing that, because I'm going to look at Romans 1, 2, and 3 in a moment, and then 6, 7, and 8 a little bit later. Um, in Romans 1, just let your eyes notice uh, verse 11. Paul says, I want to be there with you. I want to strengthen you. That was all the way back. Four years ago, Paul wrote that. <laughs> he says, I want to be with you. I want to strengthen you. He cares deeply for those people. Remember remember, his love for the church? I want to be with you. I want to strengthen you. But oddly, that's not what came next in his letter. You, as a congregation, you sat through months of being told how unworthy all of us are, to be favored, to be adopted, to be in fellowship with God. And those months were Romans 1, 2, and the first half of 3. And so for an apostle who wants to strengthen them, it seemed odd to start with bad news about our absolute unworthiness and inability However, Romans 1 is just that. Three times God says, I made it known to them. I revealed this to them. I showed it plainly to all of them. As many as see the sun have seen the revelation. S O N. As I got that backwards. S U N. As many as have seen creation have seen the revelation of God. But they did not respond in worship. They ignored, they redirected enthusiasm for created things rather than the creator. And in Romans 1, three times it says God gave them up. Romans 2 goes on to explain that there is not benefit in religion. Romans 3 continues that. And punctuates it with this statement in Romans 3. All have sinned. None are righteous. No one seeks for God. All of them have turned away. Romans I I want to come and strengthen you. And then he writes that. And that could be a real quandary. You could really scratch your head and say... You're not really strengthening me with that news. But we've read the whole letter now. We've studied the whole letter. And we know why that is part of strengthening the church. Romans chapter 5 explained for us why that's our condition. 1, 2, and 3. Why is that a good description of me? Romans 5. Verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Listen, listen closely to this. I think that this is a monumental understanding of our condition if the Spirit of God doesn't trespass against our will. I think this is imperative to understand. Sin was in the world before the law was given. But, you know, sin's not counted where there's no law. That makes sense, right? Right? Um, If I don't tell you the rules of the game, then you can't break the rules. Well, same with God. God says the same thing. Um, You didn't yet have the law of Moses. Yet, he says, death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the sin Adam committed. The sin Adam committed was to hear the instruction of God and say, ah, I'm not going to obey. But there hadn't yet been a law given until Moses, and yet there were people who sinned, not like Adam, yet death reigned. Sin came into the world through Adam. Adam and even before the instructions were given even before you were offending the instruction of your creator death reigned why because we are born dead in the trespass of sin infected with adam's fallenness and that it permeates all That we are. We become futile in our thinking. Our foolish hearts grow dark. And we take the invitation to the light as an offense. Okay, so one, two, and three. Paul says, I want to strengthen you. And then one, two, and three. And then five. He says, this is why, that's true. But we move on. How is it that the God of salvation brings salvation to sinners like us in Adam's sinful race? The gospel of which Jesus Christ is the center, is what Paul says in his doxology. So now let's look. Let's let's keep looking. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. What a great truth we saw here about union with Christ. See, there's this, there's this really federal understanding of your identity. Um, in other words, it's good for you to see yourself as a group, not as an individual, as a group. Um, at least as you, as you uh, handle the understanding of the gospel. All of us are either in Adam or in Christ. So you could simply say there are two groups. Which group are you in? And Romans 6 is one of the times when God said, if you're in the Christ group, the good news strengthens you. But Romans 5 says, but all of you are born in the Adam group. You need to be adopted out of the Adam group into the Christ group. Okay, so let's, let's look at it. Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 3 through 8. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will live truly with him. Who is it who strengthens? God. How is it? Union with Christ. To be removed from the fallenness Of Adam's sinful race and placed in blessed union with Christ. Go ahead one chapter please to 7. And allow me to share with you verses 4 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another To him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. Not the old way of the written code. One more in Romans eight thirty one. All answering the question, how will he strengthen us? Romans eight thirty one 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Union with Christ. To be free from the condemnation of the law, but counted righteous in Christ and unable to be separated from Christ. This is the gospel that strengthens worshipers. Let me ask this question then lastly as we're using strength as a central key for understanding the work of the gospel that God accomplishes by the gospel of Jesus Christ, strengthening us, returning us to true living of worshipers. What, what does worship look like in a particular description? Because worship kind of sounds like singing, Right? or praying, or Bible reading. Let's, let's talk through, just as a church, what it means that we respond to the revelation of God with doxology. Let's look. <clears throat> First, when we are told in praise that God himself strengthens us by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it means this. A particular nation of spiritually identified people we call the church is made to be pure if you are strengthened it means that you belong to a particular people that is made by the blood of christ to be pure psalm 24 3 who shall ascend to the hill of the lord or who shall stand in the holy place He who has clean hands and pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Does not swear deceitfully. He has received blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. To know that you belong not in the fallen race of Adam but you belong to the body of Christ. This is one of the reasons that we are so blessed taking communion. It's good to understand the corporateness of being mutual children of God because we sit at a table and eat a meal together. That's helpful. It helps us understand. And that regular participating in communion it's a good thing. We are a particular people who have been strengthened, brought to life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me continue. Our strengthening means we are a household of faith. We are made new positionally and practically. Positionally and practically. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 Describes this. If God is strengthening us, what do we anticipate seeing done by the one who's able to strengthen by the preaching of Jesus Christ, by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Ephesians four twenty five says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, you're changed inside and out, speak the truth, be angry, and don't sin. Don't give opportunity to the devil. Can I just take a minute pastorally and make a connection for you there? You heard me read a moment ago in Romans 5, 6, that we were in the bondage of sin. Prison cell. Sin. Ephesians earlier says, doing the will of our father the devil, just like the rest of mankind, okay? Now here he gives a Christian instruction. And don't give opportunity to the devil. Well, wait, What's it? Am I a slave to sin? Am I in the bondage of the devil? Is, is he my master, my overlord? Well, not anymore. That used to be true. But well, it's not true anymore. And since it's not true, don't give any opportunity to the devil. <clears throat> and then he says this in verse 28. This, this has often been uh, just one of those really vivid pictures that the Spirit of God has used to help me understand what it means that we've been made new. He says in verse 28, let the thief steal no more. But rather, let him work with his hands all the more that he might have to give to those who have need. I've shared that visual with you before. It's to have the guy who lives down the street who used to steal everything out of your front yard if you left it there overnight. And have that guy radically transformed by the preaching of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, and now not steal things out of your front yard, but get an extra shift at work on the weekends so that he has more money to be able to give to people who have needs. Now listen, we have a world that admits we want to see improvements like that made in our communities. We also have a world that denies that the way to get that is Jesus Christ. Right? By the way, uh, Craig, that's my talk in a couple weeks at the gala. Okay, just so you know. The radical change that comes by the work of Jesus Christ—that's power. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's not feeling better about being prepared for eternity. It is being radically changed from the inside and the outside to live truly by the power of the Spirit of God. Number three, what does it mean that we're strengthened? All this praise to God for what He does. What does it mean that we're strengthened? The strength that is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ goes from us to the nations. Now to him who is able to strengthen you by the gospel that you've been taught here, the preaching of Jesus Christ, we as the church are strengthened to go or to send the good news of Christ to the nations. I don't don't know which one you're doing right now. I don't know if you're the goer or if you're the sender, but you're one of them because the God who is able to strengthen you has done it, if you're the church, by the good news, the preaching of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 14. The the radical effect of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul's wrestling with the issue of speaking in tongues, and There are some spiritual gifts that had seemed very romantic to the church and so they they tended to overemphasize some things as being, unfortunately, maybe a little showy. And uh, Paul says, hold on, let's think about this. If the church that has been strengthened by God through the power of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, if that church meets together and they all prophesy and speak in tongues, and then someone who doesn't know the gospel walks in the back door they are going to see you all rambling and speaking in tongues in a way that they have no idea what you're testifying to and they are going to quickly sneak out the way they came in that's what paul says but he said but if you who have been strengthened by the gospel the preaching of jesus christ are all proclaiming the gospel in your adoration of god truly testifying of God's salvation to you Then, when someone walks in the back door and hears you saying what you've been strengthened by the Spirit of God in you to say new, what you wouldn't have said before. The same person who would have said, creation is adorable, but now says the Creator is adorable. Someone walks in and hears us testifying that, and they are one. They are redeemed. They're saved. So let me finish by reminding us that, in fact, the triune God has made a covenant to redeem sinners who don't deserve to be redeemed. All of history is the account of God revealing that light of the gospel. To everyone, listen, friends. There is a sense in which everyone on the planet has the gospel, has has the the, the news of God revealed to them. All of creation is called then to respond. Paul is to be strengthened to come from death to life to worship. And so, I wonder if we are going to be affected by the preaching of the gospel in this letter of Romans in a way that makes us doxological. And, And not just, the danger is To come in on a Sunday morning and say, "Man, I really like worshiping." Okay. Um, I'm going to finish with this. I was sharing the gospel with a man one day. I was in his truck, and I had been I had shared the gospel with him for probably two or three years, and we were driving, and I was asking him about his admission of sin. I said, do you know that you're a sinner in need of being forgiven? And He said, oh, yes. And I believe that he did. He said, every day when I go to bed, I try to remember the sins that I've committed and ask God to forgive me for those. And because God is so faithful, like I had this helpful response to that from, I think, the Spirit to say, wait. You're admitting to God that you sinned today. I don't think that's the same thing as admitting that you are a sinner. He was admitting he had done things wrong. He wasn't admitting that he was wrong. Okay? So, you see that picture? I'm not a basically good person who does bad things apart from Christ. Before I was alive in Christ, I'm not... Basically, a good person who's done some bad things. Now, let's flip that over to your context, the definition of your worship, you being doxological. I am not praying that the Lord produces occurrences of doxology in me. But to make me doxological. To really apply to my life whether I'm eating or drinking or whatever I'm doing, to do it to the glory of God. And so while I was totally dead, living in the futility of sin, like there was pointlessness, no meaning to life. Now that radical transformation, the strengthening of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't just make me a person who sometimes praises God, because on Sunday morning it's easy to be to the praise of his glory. This close of this letter is such a blessing to the church. I mean, to be able to see the light of the gospel and say, this gives meaning to my life. This defines my parenting My money, stewardship, fellowship, my church. This is why we've been strengthened by Him who's able, the power of the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to be doxological to the praise of His glory. In this place, in us, we are witnessing Eden being restored. That is nothing short of awesome, right? Let's pray together. Let's pray for each other. Father, wow, the power of this gospel is, it is it's is—it's staggering really to our minds. We We come into this moment and study this doxology from, we've been exposed to some trivial things and, and, and there's so much there's so much that is trite. And then here we come and we behold this expression of praise to a God who's able to strengthen us, able to set us free from bondage, to live in hope, in delight, in joy. able to produce in us um, a new heart of flesh that worships in a way that's not just occasional, it's not just um, something that we do as a, a hobby, but you've made all things new. Would you guard us, Father, from the uh, misapplication of all of your blessings? Protect us from the premature conclusion that you blessing us is the end, and allow us to see that the greatest end, that the chief end, is our delight in you, not the blessings, and therefore to glorify you forever. What a great gift to your church that your word is to remind us of things so fundamental as the meaning of our living in Christ. We praise you for your gifts, for the encouragement of this text to us, and we pray that you would continue to empower us to walk in this truth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.